Hello, welcome to Lazada Insider, featuring knowledge to makes a difference. We share trusted insights, forward-looking perspectives, and exclusive expert interviews to keep you ahead of the curve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lazada Insider, winning the Beauty Digital Shelf special series. I'm your host, Katrina, from Lazada. For our very first episode, we will delve into the luxury beauty industry, which has certainly evolved over time to adapt to changing behaviors of consumers and new social and economic conditions. So today with our expert panel guests, we will explore the emerging trends in the industry and the strategies for luxury beauty brands to win in the omni-channel world. Joining us today, we have Hebe Su, Senior Regional Online Manager of Southeast Asia from Estee Lauder Companies, Mike Yas Chen, Chief of Staff and Chief Business Officer for Marketing and Creatives from Synergy, and Angie Chen, Fashion Curator from The Fifth Collection. So a very warm welcome, everybody. Um, to kick off today's conversation, may I invite all of you to do a bit of introduction and let the audience know a bit more about you. How about we start with Hebe first? Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Katrina. So this is Hebe. I'm the regional online from the SD Lauder companies. I lead the makeup category and also Lame in the group. So I take care of the whole uh, SEA business uh, with the 3PP platform. Thank you. Uh, Mike, yes, we've been talking quite a lot offline and collaborating on some projects before as well. You are certainly an expert in marketing in the digital space. So um, could you tell our audience a bit more about you and your experience? Okay. Hi, everybody. I am Mikius. I'm from uh, Synergy. So I think as uh, Katrina has introduced, I'm the chief of staff as well as the chief business officer for the marketing and creative uh, business unit here at Synergy. Maybe not so much about myself. I'll share a little bit about uh, Synergy. We are the leading e-commerce enabler in Southeast Asia. Uh, we manage close to about a thousand stores for over 600 uh, brands. And we are the enabler that has won uh, Lazada's Regional Partner of the Year Award for two years running. I guess the most exciting news for Synergy of late is that we have also expanded into Europe uh, with Spain as our first market. And we are uh, going to go live uh, by the end of this year. Uh, so that's a little bit of an introduction to Synergy and myself. Uh, back to you, Katrina. Thank you. Very exciting. Last but definitely not the least, Angie, could you share with us more about you? Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Angie and I'm the um, curator at The Fifth Collection, which is a platform for pre-loved and vintage uh, luxury goods. Um, what, we, what I basically do is I manage the curation, the merchandising, the authentication of all the products that uh, come to us. Thank you for the introduction. Let's uh, dive right into today's topic then, luxury beauty industry. Um, like many others, luxury beauty has experienced a storm of technology innovations and consumer lifestyle changes. So, Mekis, um, could you help us understand the current landscape and the state of luxury beauty industry in Southeast Asia? Uh, the Asia-Pacific region in itself, I think it's a very important uh, region for uh, luxury beauty because it drives about 50% of the growth globally. Uh, of course, if we talk about APAC, uh, China and Japan are very important markets. Southeast Asia might represent maybe a very small absolute number, but it's also a very important uh, region that brands are looking at uh, because of the, you know, the growth potential that is there, mainly because of two factors. There is a very fast-growing affluent middle class that they want to tap on. And the second one is also because of the relatively young uh, population that is very, you know, uh, very vibrant and 
and also very digitally penetrated and very digitally involved. Um, if you're talking about uh, Southeast Asian numbers itself, uh, for beauty, in 2020, uh, the entire beauty industry is worth about $26 billion, $25.6 billion. Uh, increasingly, especially because of uh, COVID, right? Uh, about 24% of uh, the business is now uh, luxury beauty. And what's interesting, especially for this uh, panel, will be that COVID has also helped, right, uh, to bring the online piece uh, bigger, right? So it, went, it used to be uh, high single digits, but right now it stands at about 15%, right, of the sales uh, coming from online itself. So um, that's really how numbers uh, land. Uh, so in terms of trend-wise, I would say, of course, we cannot... Um, ignore the fact of COVID, right? So I think what COVID has done for the luxury beauty is that it has, you know, greatly uh, increased the penetration as well as the openness of people to buy luxury consumables online. Because honestly, they didn't have a choice, right? Everybody was stuck at home. You cannot travel anymore. The travel retail, uh, unfortunately, had to come to almost quite a standstill, right? And I think brands, uh, the platforms such as Lazada, as well as enablers, right? They have also helped the consumers along because they have greatly enhanced the online shopping experience. Whether or not it is your, you know, your e-store, your immersive shopping experience to, you know, providing a good customer service, right? You know, concierge services, uh, whether or not it is uh, your high-touch fulfillment services or, you know, your white glove uh, delivery options. I think this helped uh, consumers to also, you know, make uh, the online shopping experience comparable, right? Uh, in terms of what products people are looking for, I think especially in Southeast Asia, there is still a very big, I would say, quote-unquote, obsession on anti-aging and also products that have a certain derm proposition, you know, catering to problematic or sensitive skin. And no surprise there because, you know, one in every five consumers in Southeast Asia, they identify themselves as having, you know, sensitive skin. Uh, moving a little bit to marketing for uh, maybe, I think in, in general for beauty, I think there will be a, a move towards more uh, uh, content-driven sort of marketing, especially trying to make uh, your uh, information entertaining. Because as we all know, the social networks, right, they are all changing in terms of their algorithm from uh, away from network-based uh, virility to something that is really more focused on the content itself. Uh, but that being said, uh, celebrity endorsement, uh, mega influence uh, endorsement is still very important and I think goes hand in hand with luxury beauty. I think that will not stop, especially in the markets of uh, your Philippines, your Indonesia, as well as in Malaysia, where it will still be very important. Um, the last uh, point I would say uh, a trend will be, I think, uh, luxury beauty brands will continue looking for ways to differentiate themselves, especially, you know, where your mass brands are also creeping up, right, trying to be a little bit more mastiche. So they will continually need to differentiate uh, themselves in terms of value propositions. And this will go, I think, a little bit further, not just looking inward in terms of what they can offer in terms of product offerings. They might do a lot of um, collaborations, a lot of, you know, like product tie-ups or stuff with perhaps celebrities, again, with uh, designers, you know, uh, et cetera, uh, so that they can uh, give a, a different sort of storytelling in terms of their brand. And linked to that will be, I think, uh, you know, luxury brands will also try to differentiate by trying to align themselves and storytell in terms of the values of the consumers by perhaps playing up things uh, to do with, you know, ESG, right? Whether or not it's about environmental 
environmental sustainability, the support for women and girls, uh, diversity, or you know, fair trade. And I think these, uh, I think, will be no surprise to Hebe because I think these things are very, very close, uh, you know, to the heart of what ELC is doing in terms of all their different brands. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing about the overall market state, the subcategories, and also highlighting the trends um, in the luxury beauty industry. And I think that a lot of these trends are centered around consumers. So my next question is for Angie. As a, as a fashion curator, maybe you can add on to that. So based on your observation, how has consumer behavior changed in the past one to two years uh, in terms of purchasing luxury beauty or luxury products in general? So consumers generally, I think, have become much more well-informed uh, about their purchases because, you know, during COVID, they spend a lot of time reading. You have all this excess time, right? Because it's just you and your, uh, your phone, your computer, etc. And they also now care about how and where it is made, whether the product also has a potential return of investment and about the history and rarity of an uh, item, you know, when it, this is when it comes to uh, luxury, prod, uh, luxury goods itself. Um, during COVID, we also saw a larger disposable income that is geared towards luxury um, goods because or luxury spending because uh, people were not able to uh, travel. So we now have a much more diverse audience purchasing uh, luxury goods for the first time and who will continue to uh, do so because they've already sort of um, you know broken past this entry uh, uh, barrier uh, uh, for 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 the first time. Yeah. And in the, uh, especially in the pre-love market, we saw categories that were traditionally not as popular as um, uh, you know, uh, the traditional, po uh, very popular categories such as bags. So what, right now we see an increasing trend of people buying ready-to-wear uh, shoes and it's becoming one of our most uh, popular categories. I think um, this can be attributed to customers wanting to shop more sustainably uh, in all parts uh, of their wardrobe. So it really boils down into customers becoming very, very well informed uh, across the board. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, now let's shift our focus uh, to digital commerce. And my next question is for Hebe. I would love to hear your experience and your perspectives. What impact has the rise of digital commerce have on the luxury beauty industry? Yeah, as a cook company, we got uh, many leading premium brands. So basically, you can tell in the past, we are very strong at the retail and all the servicings we can do in the store. But uh, our founder, Mr. Estee Lauder, she always focusing on high touch. So high touch is basically, you can imagine like, uh, some complimentary hand massage in the store or something really with the personal touch. But you know, for brand as a luxury beauty brand, when we need to bring this online, we need to be a bit innovative because basically there's no physical person touch we can do. So how about something like uh, maybe one-to-one -one consultation, you can live chat with us, you can still do the one-to-one -one chat with our consultant. It's still human behind, but we do that digitally. So this is something uh, we need to be, you know, more innovative when we bring this kind of exclusive servicing to online. And second, with also the digital, digital commerce, sometimes that uh, we find that it's not only during the pandemic, because pandemic, I think we found some people, they couldn't go to the store to shop online, but at the same time, we can also increase our outreach because um, in a lot of uh, Southeast Asian country, we still don't have the store in a lot of the tier two cities. So basically, everyone live in that city, uh, even though they want to maybe try on La Mer, they couldn't do that because, you know, they basically couldn't find any store. 
So with the rise of the digital commerce, basically they can finally at least, you know, to browse the store to get some one-to-one contact. And also maybe if they want to try some samples, they can also on the, you know, on Asada and to give a, you know, to give a taste of, you know, our luxury product. So I think these two will be the, the major things that uh, even though for beauty brand, we didn't, we were not very well prepared for this in the past, but, you know, speed up by COVID in the past two years, I think everyone will already increase their outreach on online. Like what you mentioned, I think uh, SG Lauder puts high touch right at the center of what they do. Uh, and I think this during COVID, we were also trying, I mean, together, right, with ELC as well as uh, Synergy, we're finding ways how we can, you know, uh, bring that high touch right to or in terms of e-commerce and i think one thing was we started spraying uh perfume or scenting uh our delivery boxes right whenever we sent uh elc products out uh it was a huge uh logistic challenge needless <laughs> to say <laughs> to organize but i think uh elc together with synergy i think we said that it was an important thing to do to differentiate and how we can help to elevate right uh the the consumer touch point we even have a long discussion about how to tie the ribbon. This is yes, something yes. seems very basic, but you know that totally changed the experience when people unbox it. Correct. So this is how much we care about the details. Excellent sharing. I think that, you know, obviously from brand perspective, from enablers perspective, during the COVID time, you have done quite a lot to bring that retail um, high touch experience even to the online and during the unboxing kind of experiences. Now, if we look at, you know, Southeast Asia overall, we are moving to more of an endemic stage and uh, consumers shopping behavior is more omnichannel. So my question is, how can luxury beauty brands then best leverage both online and offline? for additional business growth. Maybe, Mikeas, uh, could you share with us your thoughts on this? I, I think before answering that question itself, I think it's, it's important to go back to a very fundamental uh, question, and that is about channel strategy. I think when COVID happened, for survival, right, all brands had to go online, right? There was no choice, right? So we had to go wherever our consumers will be, might pop up online because they were definitely not going to uh, us offline. And so in that, in that space, I think we weren't really given uh, the luxury of, you know, good, you know, really planning out the channel strategy. But now as we emerge out from uh, uh, COVID, I think it is very important. I think not only for the luxury beauty brands, but I think all brands, right, that which, which had made the rush to go online, to really sit down and to really evaluate their channel strategy. What does all these online channels, uh, if you have more than them, including your own .com, mean to the brand? And, and versus your offline channels, whether or not it's your retailers, your distributors, or your standalone boutiques, right? What do all of these mean in your greater consumer ecosystem, right? So, because if you don't do that, then what you will, you know, un- inevitably, you know, worry about is that each of the channels, right, instead of feeding off each other, they will start feeding on each other, right? The greatest fear, right, of all brands, cannibalization. But that really comes from a fundamental, if you don't really have a channel strategy where, you know, everything is the same everywhere, right? So in if you have that sort of strategy, then you will realize that at the end of the day, the consumers, right, will just talk to you about price. Promotions, price, convenience becomes the center of the conversation topic uh, unless you start to differentiate uh, your channels. And once you look into channel strategy, then, you know, you might come to a point where you might even uh, rationalize some of these channels. Then if you are talking about how they can leverage, I would say maybe just go down three paths, but with one of the thing, with one of, I would say, 
um, with one guiding principle. I think as Angie has also mentioned, I think Hebe has also mentioned, and that is how how can you continually add value to the customer? I think that that needs to be at the center of uh, all your discussions, right? So whether or not, firstly, is you know you can um, you can uh, provide information. I think the providing of information whenever the consumers want it, wherever they are, right? So if you're offline, maybe you can use QR codes so that they can scan and immediately, you know, go online to read about your uh, your product. And if you're online, you maybe you can provide AI, AR, right? To provide that kind of immersive shopping experience that they will expect offline. The second one is perhaps also in terms of uh, integrating the consumer experience, right? So for example, if you have a CRM program, then you need to basically integrate that CRM program across all your different touch points. And I think the last point uh, would be uh, the forming of communities, right? Because um, now with offline and online coming together, I think that if you can leverage it, you can actually activate your, com your community and build your community to be far more robust because you can reach out to them. Not you can reach out to your online community offline by having you know offline events. But in in now that people are also a little bit more penetrated, you can actually also start to have virtual events, right? Which may be a little bit more cost effective for the brands and also something easier for the brands to, you know, do on a frequency to keep engaging uh, the, the, the customers rather than to have an offline uh, event, which traditionally is a little bit more expensive, a little bit more res resource uh, zapping, right, to organize. Excellent sharing. Hebe, anything to add on from brand perspective? Yeah, I think Mikia shared a very comprehensive overview. And I do agree that as a brand, we want to make sure whenever and, you know, and wherever the consumer wants to shop, we want to provide them a very consistent experience. So, uh, like, I think something very interesting, like for La Mer, we developed something like the Moisture Finder. Basically, first on Asada, this is like a virtual tool. You can answer some quiz and to find out what kind of texture you should use for your clam. And basically, you know, the quiz is, uh, you know, very easy to use, very interactive. At, at the end in the store, you know, the, the uh, beauty consultant want to use it to guide the consumer. Okay, if you actually don't feel like you, you want to touch the product or you put off your mask, this is something you can also use in the store. So I think that like... Um, Again, we need to provide something convenient for the consumer. Wherever and wherever they feel like they want to do that, it doesn't matter if it's a digital tool or is a physical tool. So it's like uh, we try to bring up the idea from offline to online. At the, same at the same time, some of the online idea can also be used offline. And I want to add one point is about, um, I think the CRM is a very good mention. And then uh, it's really important for, for luxury brand to do like the cost channel or the only loyalty. This is basically, again, another way to provide a consistent experience. It shouldn't be like when I buy online or offline, I will get different benefits because basically end up is for the same brand. But uh, to add on here is when we look at the different channel strategy, I do think that even with the same tools, we have a different purpose. And again, we need to have different program, but to really make sure that we provide a very consistent and very smooth experience. Thank you, Hebe. Um, for my next question, I think that uh, it is something that on top of many consumers' mind, which uh, is rising cost of living, 
um, high inflations and goes higher and higher. And I think that, you know, we cannot hide away on, on, from the fact that these actually impacted um, a lot of the financial well-beings uh, of consumers in the region. And they're really feeling the squeeze uh, of, of purchase power. Um, so what effect yeah. will this have on the mm -hmm. uh, luxury industry? And how do you think that the luxury industry players can actually navigate? So just to share with um, you some figures, um, LVMH recorded revenue of 56.5 billion euros in the first nine months of 2022, which is up 28% compared to the same period of uh, 2021. So, you know, we do, we do not see a big slowdown in uh, spending in general because luxury goods are ultimately a mode of diversing your investment portfolio in a way. And consumers understand and know that most, if not all, luxury goods retain some value over time. And uh, even our second tier, what we call our second tier brands, they never go down to a net zero uh, value. There's always some uh, uh, resale value uh, in them. And even uh, some of our top brands, they do extremely well by appreciating well beyond their original purchase uh, price. So brands sell this idea to their consumers as well, right? And uh, that they are purchasing what we call investment pieces, and they will need to do. They will need to continue to do so and to educate their uh, clients to in, in order to keep them uh, coming back. So uh, an example uh, would be uh, Bottega Veneta has just recently introduced um, a, a lifetime warranty uh, program for all of their bags and. It, so it promotes this sort of sustainability angle to it as well, right? That you are buying into a product that has longevity. Um, you, uh, it, it's a luxury product. The brand is here for you um, whenever, if something goes wrong, uh, etc. When you are buying a Butera bag, it's, it's for life. Uh, personally, when we set up uh, the fifth collection uh, eight years ago uh, in, in this market, it was really quite uh, new uh, uh, in what we call uh, alternative uh, investments. So we, we have this mindset and we like to think that when you purchase something, uh, you wear it and then you can sell it. So you can dramatically sort of reduce the cost of uh, ownership without any uh, sac uh, sacrifice. Thank you for sharing. For our very last question, let's look into the future. And um, I would like to hear from all of you, what are the top two trends you anticipate the luxury beauty industry over the next one to two years? Um, so maybe we start with Hebe first. Yeah, okay, thank you. So I think first, uh, for the luxury beauty, for sure, I think people will demand more and more personal touch, more and more personalizations, because uh, a large percentage of the, basically the orders are for gifting. So they will buy for different occasions, like maybe for Mother's Day or for anniversary, for something that uh, it will be really nice if we can offer them more like engraving or even a special gift wrap, special card that basically will really help, you know, to, to, to drive like uh, other than, you know, promotion to drive this kind of shopping moment together with the luxury brand. And second, uh, with like more and more people already on board to use, uh, you know, e-commerce to buy their own product. And I think it will be also the time to expand about uh, how to help them on to find their regimen. Because in the past, you know, without too much content, without, you know, too much knowledge, people only buy to try. But in the future, we believe people will really to, you know, to find their whole regimen items online. So this is also as a brand, we need to consider how to provide better service, 
better content to drive this conversion online as well. Thank you. What do you think, Matthias? Well, I would say really immediately, I think we do have to uh, be realistic. And I think that there will be a normalization for uh, luxury uh, beauty products first, uh, maybe into this year, early next year. Uh, not so much that I think people are spending less. I think like what NG is saying, but I think people just have more options now that, you know, things have opened up, right? So previously, luxury consumables, when I was stuck at home, I perhaps can only buy certain categories of stuff right i can't travel i can't uh, you know i can't book hotels i can't book staycations etc but now i can and into the future i think definitely uh, and i'm not biased here because i'm in the enabler business but i think definitely online uh is here to stay and it will grow not only because of the trend but because that is the population that is the future of the southeast asia population the young digital uh, digitally penetrated and digitally involved population Thank you. Maybe, Angie, you can shed a bit of light from an overall luxury industry perspective. What do you expect the top two trends will be in the next couple of years? I think, uh, obviously, there's still going to be a continuous focus on uh, sustainability. Definitely. I think this will, will not be ending for the next 10, 15, uh, uh, 20 years, this, this topic, this conversation topic, this focus is something that all brands uh, are going to uh, look at. Um, I think uh, for beauty-wise, as a consumer, I do see a um, trend coming into customized skincare. So as also what Hebe mentioned earlier, this, uh, you know, all these high touch points and beyond that, it's not just uh, about engraving, etc. It's about creating your own product, you know, self of that, that ownership, that something is catered entirely to the, uh, the consumer. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspectives on the upcoming trends in the industry. And uh, this actually brings us to the end of today's discussion. It was really great sharing from all of you, uh, hearing your experience, your insights, your advice. So thank you so much again, uh, Hebe, Matthias, and Angie for joining us on Lazada Insider. This is Lazada Insider. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you click follow and subscribe so you don't miss our latest insights and expert interviews. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, take care. Bye.